episode of Teeth and Kid Phoenix for season one. We had to take a little breather last week just to kind of recollect. Also because the holiday and yeah, we we like to enjoy our holiday. So in that retrospect, we decided to stay away from each other for a little bit because so sometimes we think we're funny, but in actuality, we're just basically jerks to each other and we we don't need that we don't need that for the holidays i mean especially you to me listen jerk it's not hey i might call you an asshole on like every birthday but bottom line i i get enjoyment out of it it's funny to hear your reactions when i call you an asshole especially on your birthday even though you should be expecting it you never really do expect it you're just shocked when it happens Yes, I don't know why I'm shocked. I should not be. <laughs> At this point, I've been doing it for how long now? And I'm doing it all for the yucks. So, so Teeves, I don't know about you, but I, I think I'm funny. You have some moments. I have some moments. Teeves definitely has more moments than I, but that's primarily because, and this is the subject today, we're talking about African-American comedy, the, the, the history of it, the decades it spanned, And we're going to do a little something called the African-American Comedy Championship Belt. Here's what we're doing. We're spanning 1970 to present. We would go earlier than 1970, but I mean, I wasn't around for the comedians back in the 1930s when Tiva was a teenager. Okay. See, that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) It's exactly what I mean. And yeah, listen, a lot of the stuff, the older stuff, like the Mom's Mabley stuff and the older Red Fox stuff is hard to get your hands on. So I feel like up to around 1970, I think we're good. Even with YouTube, it's really hard to find like the Red Fox stand up, the Flip Wilson stand up. You can get you can find the Bill Cosby stand up and we'll get into that in a second. But uh, so so Teebs, what why do you think? that we're focusing on African-American comedians. Why could that be? I feel like there's a specific answer that you want me to get to, but... <laughs> I mean, um, I mean, it's there. It, it's right there in, your, in, in my complexion. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to take that beat. What I will say is... <laughs> comedians in general serve the purpose of holding up a mirror to society and, and showing people... Uh, you know, kind of their own flaws and and what they see and just their thoughts about that particular culture. And for African American comedians, it is it is it is particularly important, especially because we often don't get that kind of self reflective moment to ourselves because you know we're we're too busy out here hustling be, you know doing whatever it is we got to do to survive exactly. in america we don't often get the time to sit back and reflect on what exactly does it all mean what are we doing so that's why listening to comedians is so important i feel like any one of these people you could go you could listen to and that would be a snapshot of what kind of black america was thinking at that time black comedians like they're easily they're easily relatable a lot of them come from backgrounds just like just like us you know they had to scratch and claw you know the old adage like the the african-american has to work twice as hard for not nearly as much 
So you always get that perspective and it's always nice to see, or even funny sometimes, depending on the comedian, to see where their head's at looking at America at that specific time frame. Exactly. And I mean, the, the simplest for, for me, it's that we watch more African-American com- comedians than any other. I don't know if that's particularly true. I don't think we watch uh, black comedians more than any other type of comedians. It's just stand-up comedy is an important thing. We pay more attention to stand-up comedy because of the importance of black comedians, full stop, period. Right. Um, but I don't know that we consume African-American comedians more than any other, although African-American comedians are events, whereas, you know, just another special from... Right. Uh, who's a hot white comedian? Who's the, who's the white guy that is... Uh, Mulaney is that a guy John John Mulaney John Mulaney's John Mulaney is my my mf'er I love John Mulaney right but uh but his special is just not gonna be as touted as say the next Chappelle special oh god no that's what I'm saying so even if Chappelle I mean and that may be more to do with Dave Chappelle but even if he puts out like a 14 minute YouTube video, it's an event. It's getting like 20 billion views in like the first yeah. 30 minutes. Uh, let me pose you this question. Like us personally, and this is like deep annals of Teves and Kid Phoenix family experience. We didn't really have cable growing up. So a lot of these like one hour specials that you would get, they would be on like HBO and we didn't have HBO at the time. So it's like, we really had kind of a blind spot to a lot of the comedians that were really like up and around dope and doing their thing. I don't know though. I feel like, you know, if a special was that good and that important, I feel like I didn't miss out on any, like somebody had a tape. All right. Somebody would bring by a tape. Somebody would bring by something. Somebody would get the bootleg on 52nd street. Somebody would get something and be able to watch. (laughs) So All right. Disclaimer number one, just because we're speaking specifically on African-American comedians, we're not shitting on white comedians. White comedians are funny in their own right. So all the fans of like Mitch Hedberg and George Carlin and Sam Kinison, Dangerfield, Andrew Dice Clay, we're not. And everybody after that, we're not shitting on white comedians. We're not. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, at some point, we just need to do the just general comedy championship belt not today do we, but do, at some point that needs to happen oh my god do you do you think we have the strength for something like that does it really you, does it really matter because like carlin is going to take every belt I'm telling you right like now, george carlin is going to have a hogan like two decades yeah <laughs> <laughs> not only that but I, I feel like we had more exposure to african-american comedians especially when we were teenagers when we had teenagers, it just happened to be a time when black comedy was exploding. You had in living color, you had Def Jam. Def Comedy Jam. I don't think that it's a, I don't think it that, you know, we were exposed to more because of anything else, any other thing besides just, it was just more, there was just more, it was more prevalent than the, in the, the early 90s. The accessibility was more present in the, in the 90s when we were teenagers. Right. Um, like, I don't even know where you would go to. I mean, you'd go to Netflix to see 
a comedy show, but they only have select people that'll bring right. in the most views. Right. They don't have man, I really wish Netflix would do a show like Def Jam or just just a weekly sampling of dudes just getting up on the mic. Def Jam was so great. Def Jam I, was so well, good. I, I noticed I I noticed that is it is conspicuously absent from your list of notes, but we will have to slide it in here we'll, somewhere we'll get it when we talk about the nineties. Well, no, okay. Def Jam is in there. Def Jam is definitely in there. So here, here's the other question. Could we really relate to the jokes told by white comedians? All right. Because so... you were saying how, like, with African-American comedians, they basically come from the same backgrounds that we do. And, like, there are some jokes, like, for example, like, you know, for uh, Jewish jokes don't really hit with us. You know, there's some white jokes that don't really hit with us. But like black jokes, we, we get those. Like I mean, We get those yeah. and we're just like, shit, that's funny. That's true of anybody's, you know, group or whatever. I don't I think this this black jokes are for black folks and white jokes are for white folks. That dichotomy doesn't really need to exist. Like, OK, people say stuff that's funny. I mean, I've laughed at Jewish jokes, not knowing the context, because I like kind of not knowing the complete, not knowing exactly what they're talking about. But because of the context, like I get it. And it's funny. Most jokes, most comedy comes down to simple things that all human beings experience, like family, like things in society that that are annoying and upsetting. Right. Like the, the only thing that's really different is our is our perspective and our response to them certain jokes are universal depending on how they're told like you know there there's some white jokes that like you know black people and jewish people can be like yeah yeah i can relate to that i was just i was just thinking that we relate more to the black jokes because there's that very specific that very specific feeling of yeah that definitely happened to me right but then there's other comedians like, again, I'm going to relate more to a comedian who's closer to my age, closer to 40, than a comedian who's 24. That's Black true. or white. I'm going to probably relate more to the white 40-year-old comedian than I am to the black 24-year-old comedian. The, the birth and after effects of Deaf Comedy Jam, I think that was just monumental in the mid-90s and going forward the future of African-American comedy. There was just so many, like... It just felt like one big ass open mic and that sense of, hey, someone like me is the number one comedian in the world. In Eddie's case, in the 80s and the 90s, it was just like a hodgepodge of like so many acts and it was just so good. The belt, the, the, the belt did change hands more often in the early 90s, but yes. I wouldn't call it a hodgepodge now. All right, fine. OK. But I, I do appreciate I will always appreciate Def Comedy Jam because it just turned me on to comics that I was never thinking of before. Like I didn't know who the hell Bernie Mac was. I didn't know who the hell Chris Tucker was before rush hour or before Friday. I had no idea who these guys were, right. but I Eddie saw Griffin, him on Eddie Griffin, the entertainer. I had, no, I, I had no idea who these guys were, but I saw him on Jeff Def comedy jam and they were fucking hilarious. When we talk about African-American comedy. Okay. We got to do it. We have to do this, okay? And I'm telling you right now, it's going to be very quick for me, very short. When it comes to fucking Cosby, I'm stripping him of all comedy championship belts, and I'm retroactively handing them to Flip Wilson. 
Okay. That is non-negotiable. Just no. Full stop. Okay. All of Cosby's belts go to Flip Wilson. That's it. I don't think it's as cut and I don't think it's as clear cut as that. Are you about to make a pro Cosby argument? I'm not about to I'm not about to say I think Cosby's great and I think everything that he's about is great. It's Just mark true. it down. Mark it down, folks. September 8th, 2021, Teeves comes out as pro Cosby. Here we go. The floor would, is yours. Here's what I would say. <laughs> I would say just like just about everything else in America, the legacy of Bill Cosby has to be has to be taken. You have to take everything he did on the positive side along with everything he did on the negative side. You can't just throw out one because of the other. You know, this is what I'm saying. To, pe- to Black people of you and my generation, there are very few other people who were as important for advancing the idea of Black excellence as Bill Cosby. There are people now today that are lawyers and doctors and, and, and every other kind of professionals because they saw Bill Cosby as Cliff Huxtable on the Cosby show. And they said, oh, shit, I can have that kind of life, too. That's what I'm going to be about from now on. OK, I understand what he did. What he did to women is reprehensible, reprehensible, reprehensible. Full reprehensible. Stop. He needs his ass needs to be in prison for the rest of his life. But that does not mean that you get to take away all of the good that he that he was able to provide people with and the good things that he was able to make people feel about themselves. And, all- and here's something else that I will say real He's quick going. before I go. If we're going to strip Bill Cosby of fictitious titles, then we should take away Woody Allen's actual titles. Oh, okay? yeah. Yeah. Are we taking back Woody Allen's Oscars? I mean, I can't, what's happening? I, I can't I can't speak for my Jewish. Uh, I can't speak for the Jewish listeners of this podcast. Like they'll just have they'll have to make their own decisions. But if it were me, sure, we're taking Oscars away. Um, look, what I'm saying is what Bill Cosby did is terrible horrible reprehensible but but at least he left the house to do his raping that's all i'll say god damn it okay when it comes to cosby i do it's hard for me to watch the cosby show now but at the same time you still have to watch it and say damn went from black exploitation and shows like good times and different strokes to a show where it's a black doctor, a black lawyer, three kids in upper middle class New York, just living that life. And you never saw that on television. From you a whole ass black You still on television do not see any depictions. Except for maybe blackish, which is the closest thing. I think of that's people, the closest thing. Of people that are just black people, African American people, also professionals. They are at one time not at peace being African Americans. They don't they haven't had to code switch and convert totally into a white kind of mindset. Right. 
and also being successful professionals. Yeah, you know, it's still rare to see. It's still, it's still incredibly rare, rare. Okay, more than a little problematic. Well, one thing I will say. Hold on, before we before we get out of here, Anthony Anderson, <laughs> please, please, just don't just don't fuck up anything. Don't just, do just don't do that. Walk the straight and narrow, my guy. The just, straightest and narrowest that you can. Leave us one. Okay, <laughs> we, need, we have we one. Need one. We need one. Jesus. So are are we ready to hand out some comedy belts for the for the decades? Are we ready to do this? Okay. Let's start in 1970s. And I think that there's no way we can start without talking about Richard Pryor. So yeah, Richard Pryor is clearly the champ for most of the 70s. I will say well, we're not we're we're not we're not just handing him the belt like right away. Like there there's some there's some takes, there's some names that I've brought up, and we'll, All right, let's we'll hear see. It. We'll let's see what you uh, got. We'll we'll see what happens. Uh so these are the contenders for the 1970s as I see it, and I did the research. Richard Pryor, yes. I, I feel like he'd be your one seed. Dick Gregory. Dick Gregory had the held title for the early 70s. Uh, Red Fox. Well, see, Red Fox is like the Bruno San Martino of African American <laughs> comedy. He's just like this legend from back in the day who had this historic run. And then I'm going to give an honorable mention that we should like at least bring his name up, Garrett Morris, even though he was like really kind of hidden in those SNL days. Look, I don't know about Garrett Morris. No. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't recall him having. This might have been a fault of the writing team or whatever, but I don't remember him having a significant, really, presence on early <laughs> SNL besides being the black guy. They weren't um, doing a lot of writing for it because you know they had like Chevy Chase was on that roster, Dan Aykroyd, uh, Bill Murray. Uh, yeah, it was just it was just hard. Like Gilda Radner, like even the women, like it was. It was hard for the women to really get spots on SNL. Like yeah, but I feel I feel like Gilda Radner and Jane Curtin still found a way to stand out. For so for seventy five, I would just go ahead and give the belt to Rudy Ray Moore. How did I forget about Dolomite? Jesus. Yeah, it's it's possible I forgot about Rudy Ray Moore just because I only know him from Dolomite. I know Richard Pryor for so many. Well, Dolomite so many came games. out in seventy five. That's why he gets the title in seventy five. Well, I thought we were doing this like like the belt winner for the whole decade. I mean, yes. I mean, like who who holds it the most for the decade? Yeah, Richard Pryor is going to be holding it the longest from like '77 to like Eddie. But yeah, so Richard Pryor he got started after there was a Richard Pryor special in 1977, and that's how he got the Richard Pryor show, which is just it's the first African American variety show. But holy shit! Okay, it was raunchy as hell. It was still funny as hell. It, like a lot of it, if you watch a lot of the Richard Pryor show, like now, a lot of it is like really fucking problematic. But it was the seventies. That's that's what happened. Can I rattle off Richard Pryor's show's tree of comedians? Sure. So Robin Williams was on the Richard Pryor show. Did you know that? What do you mean he was on it? He was on. He was on the Richard Pryor show. He was a regular cast member. I did not know that. Uh, Paul Mooney, of course. Right. John Witherspoon. 
Spoon was on there. And Sandra Bernhard, who I had no idea she was on that show, too. Sandra Bernhardt has bopped around in a lot of things. She she turns up every in, in a ton of places you would not. So Robin Williams, Paul Mooney, John Witherspoon, comedy legends, right? There's there's no arguing that. Sure, no, no argument. So I think the prior is gonna have the belt for Although Robin Williams. What? <laughs> what do you have against Robin Williams? Nothing. I'm just gonna. Go. I, I was just trying to be controversial for a second. Okay. Well, stop it. Like I know you have feelings about Aladdin, but whatever. I, I think Pryor gets not not only like the championship belt for like probably from like '76 until like Eddie, but his legacy is absolutely unassailable. Like no one is touching that legacy from the people that went on to further success after the Richard Pryor show. Um, well, yeah, they all kind of pay homage and bow down before Rich Breyers being the the their biggest inspiration. But just quickly to, to circle back to a point about um, Garrett Morris, I I don't remember any significant roles Garrett Morris had or sketches, but I do remember Richard Pryor sketches from SNL. And that's that's the that's why he's got the belt. That's why he's got the belt. Gotta mention Dick Gregory just because I feel like he was a comedian and an activist at a pitiful time for African Americans. Like he was big into civil rights. He was also big into feminism. A lot of people don't know that. When you compare Dick Gregory to George Carlin, is is one better than the other, or are they both kind of like similar in in skill? Uh, Carlin's better than Dick Gregory. Why? I'm just wondering. That's not. It's not. It's not, not, <laughs> not, not to be a jerk. It's not to be a jerk. I'm just asking why. Uh, he's funnier. He's better with language stuff. He's better with communicating just or identifying more annoying stuff and bring it to light in a funny way. Whereas, are you talking about uh, specifically political comedy or? Uh, specifically political comedy because uh, Carlin was my first exposure to like real political comedy. Carlin's not really a political comic. I know, but he was the first comedian I listened to that was really talking about politics and like really getting on politicians. I can't honestly remember any serious bits that Carlin has where he really drags any politicians. That's why all his stuff is great because it's kind of timeless. It's not Locked into talking about any particular it's period not specifics. Or okay, it's not a specific politician, it's just like ideas in the political landscape. Okay. Was Dick Gregory the first political comedian? I doubt it. I, I, I do kind of doubt it as well. I mean, there's like the Smothers brothers. The Smothers like brothers, yeah. All kind of stuff going on. And like this is an area where I feel like I'd have to do more research before I can say definitively <laughs> yes or no. But then we get Red Fox. If you think Richard Pryor was raunchy, Jesus Christ, look up some of Red Fox's stand-up if you can find it. Find it. Good Lord. Sanford and Son. Pryor had the variety show on lockdown, but I'm, and this is a hot take, I feel like Red Fox probably had the funnier African-American sitcom, Sanford and Son versus Good Times. Like, Good Times is good, but like Sanford and Son always made you laugh. It actually is really uh, 
a testament to Red Fox's talent. He was able to take his act, which is normally very like raunchy and and not really suitable for PG television, right? Especially the seventies PG television, and able to have success with that show and keep it ongoing for as long as as it was. Um, it's just really a testament to his ability and skill as a comedian. It's time for the 1980s. This is going to be okay. a very sh- this is going to be a very short conversation. Okay, no one no one else comes close. If I had to pick one person that came the closest, and we're talking like the the man I'm going to say ran like a Usain Bolt like speed, and Robin Harris was probably bringing up the rear. Yeah, but Robin, 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 Robin Harris, Harris. Robin Harris is the R-rated alternative to Eddie Murphy, which is saying a lot because Eddie Murphy is pretty R-fucking-rated. Robin Harris would be like the ultimate warrior skin <laughs> in the middle of that Hogan run. Like, yeah, he's he he shows up, he tears everything up for like uh, for like a hot six months. He grabs the title, but then can't handle being top guy and is out right. here. Um, I, I will say he did die at 36. So is it possible that we underappreciate Robin Harris because Eddie just dominated the 80s? Um, well, Bill Hicks died early, and I feel like nobody, I mean, people are always giving their props to Bill Hicks. So I think Robin Harris, while he was special, I don't think he was ever really truly a contender for the title for eddie's title um so, so in, in case you haven't known if in case you haven't figured out uh eddie murphy is the is the belt holder for the 1980s not just not just 19 not just one year in the 1980s the entire span of the 19 goddamn eight all right so let's say let's okay so richard Pryor live on the sunset strip is 1982 right let's say eddie takes the belt with delirious in 1983 five eddie has the belt from 1983 till coming to america 1989 right you can go if you want to go into harlem nights that's fine or 1988-89 when coming to america but like there's nobody even close not even so starting with snl like he was the best cast member from 80 to 84, period. He was stop. the cast member. He, he was, was the only, the only cast member. <laughs> he was Jordan, and it was just all, everybody was just clear out for Eddie. What, wasn't he also Eddie's the head run. He was the head writer, too, wasn't he? I don't think he was a head writer. The next best player on Saturday Night Live during that run was Joe Piscopo. Damn. Oh, my God. Joe Piscopo. I, I really need to look up. The Bill Murray S- might have been on like one, like two episodes in eighty or eighty-one, but but I even don't think with, he had. Even with Bill on the show, like by the time Eddie was really getting his footing, like I don't want to say Bill was an afterthought, but like goddamn man, Eddie just like snatched the show from the, the Actually, Chevy no. Chases and the Bill Murrays and the Dan. Yeah, Bill Murray. No, sorry, I'm. Uh, Bill Murray was probably out of there. He was out of there when Stripes came out, and Stripes came out in like '81. So, right, no, nah, he was out of there. Um, um, so Eddie came at the perfect time then, right? I mean, it's a whole—that's a whole weird period in SNL history, which maybe we'll get into at some other point. But uh, season but two. Yeah. Do you? Okay, 
do you just want to go through the list of Eddie's of just Eddie's filmography from night? Let's start with Trading Places. Don't we have to start with something before Trading Places? I think Trading Place. I mean, he's on SNL and he gets Trading Places. No, no love for Forty Eight Hours. Oh, 48 hours is before Trading Places. I'm sorry. I, 48, I, 48 hours is 82. Okay. I thought Trading Places was also 82. Trading Places was 83. Okay. Uh, so 48 hours, Trading mm-hmm. Places. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop is 84. Mm-hmm. Golden Child, highly underrated, is 86. I love the Golden Child. The Golden Child is underrated, Eddie. If you've never seen Golden Child, watch it. It's Quint, it's mid '80s Eddie. It's fucking great. If you want to see what Big Trouble in Little China would have been like if it was Eddie Murphy instead of Kurt Russell, yes, then you can watch The Golden Child. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop Two and Eddie Murphy Raw in '87. Did you mention Delirious in '83? Delirious is '83, '87. So he does the sequel to Beverly Hills Cop Two, which is an underrated sequel, mm-hmm. and then he does Eddie Murphy Raw which is probably one of the top three comedy specials of all time. It's a comedy special that they released in theaters. In theaters. That's you had to go to the happens. movies to see this. That's not... I mean, there's not a lot. He was big enough that some movie company somewhere said, yeah, sure, we'll distribute this and we'll make money. <laughs> Coming to America in 88... And you said uh, you can or cannot add Harlem Nights in 89. You can I add Harlem Nights. I, it's not, I mean, it's late stage Eddie, so it ain't my favorite. But I mean. I'm a huge fan of Harlem Nights. Okay. Because it's, it's Eddie and Richard Pryor and Red Fox all in the same movie. That's true. I mean, if you want to say it's Eddie's kind of field of dreams. Yes. I, I, I'm with it. And then, you know, 90s when you start, you know, the, the slide starts happening. Although, like, Boomerang, I really like, but that's more because Reginald Hudlin. Nutty Professor, that's 96. But, like, by then, like, Eddie is in the, like, he's in the broke down Hulk Hogan age of, like, his reign on the comedy belt. So, basically, he's just, he's just tired. No. <laughs> Nutty Professor on is Eddie Murphy's Hollywood Hogan period. Ah. So so for people that don't know wrestling, uh, Hulk Hogan went from one wrestling company to another wrestling company, became a bad guy in the wrestling company that he went to, and somehow was just as good as a bad guy as he was as a good guy, which made no sense. changed it up, but was also successful. So that is what Eddie did with Nutty Professor Mulan, Nutty Professor 2, Dr. Doolittle, uh, lesser extent, Haunted Mansion. Life was really good. Bowfinger was really Life. good. Bowfinger, Metro. Metro. Metro was always a weird one for me, but it, it's fine. It's like it's like the negotiator meets Beverly Hills Cop. It was just weird. Speaking of which, uh, where we are recording this on September 5th, 2021, and there is talk of Netflix... Making a Beverly Hills Cop 4. <laughs> this would be... <laughs> okay, so I would say the Coming to America sequel is 
Hogan and Rock at that one WrestleMania. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, WrestleMania X9, if I remember. Yes. So this is approaching Hogan in TNA territory. Oh, my God. This I is not good. Anyone, yeah, no one wants to see that. Uh, I don't even know what the premise of Beverly Hills Cop 4 would be, should be. I mean, I, I know what it's going to be. Like, Axel Foley has to go to Beverly Hills again. Or how about this? Why not just make Axel Foley the the commission the the captain of the Beverly Hills Police Department? Why don't they just hire him for Christ's sake? Just hire him. <laughs> We're gonna get into the '90s and beyond, but first, a quick message from our sponsors over at Anchor. They've been doing as well for season one, and we're gonna stick by them for season two and beyond because you know what? Casper's not giving us those checks yet. Yeah, we haven't forgot about you, Casper. So we went over the 80s, we went over the 70s, Richard Pryor holds the belt for mid-70s to Eddie shows up, and Eddie just pretty much took it from the 1980s and beyond. Now we get to the 90s, where it's the first real debate over, like, certain periods who had the belt. There were, like, there were, like, whole years where it would switch between, like, four different people. Yeah, there were a lot of people, especially because of Def Jam. One guy would get up and another guy would go down. Um, I, I feel like we have to start with the Martin Lawrence versus Chris Rock debate. I feel like, and this is true even now, Hollywood, they, they're just always looking for the next Eddie, especially in the 90s. Because Eddie was kind of, I don't want to say he was really losing the fastball, but like it was... It was definitely not like the 98, 99 mile an hour heater in the 90s. And they were just like looking for that next one. You have to remember, you had Cosby on TV. Right. Um, we had Will Smith coming. Right. A few years and, into the 90s. And real quick on Will Smith. He's not eligible, is he? Because the Fresh Prince was definitely the quintessential black sitcom of the 90s if you're if you're saying that's what it is over martin well let's have that discussion let me ask you one question yes i realize i'm asking you to talk for a majority of black people but jesus no pressure if fresh prince and martin on are on on the same night what are most black people watching i don't want to say the wrong answer because i think it's martin I also think it's Martin. Therefore, Martin has the title. All right, there you go. Then, all right. So, so, so Will, sorry, but it's just, sorry. It's just not your night, bro. Before we talk about Martin Lawrence and Chris Rock, I should say that we need to discuss the the early '90s quote unquote Eddie attempt, and that's Damon Wayne. Now, see, I don't know that it's just an Eddie attempt. Um, I think what happened was. Damon Wayans had an ex- had an outstanding stand-up special. Yes. Which is he on was, YouTube, if you can find it. He was the reason to tune in to In Living Color in the beginning. In the very first season of In Living Color, you were tuning in to see Damon... You were tuning in to see Homie the Clown and whatever Jim Carrey was up to. Yeah, that I was, was, was going to say, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I, I was I was also tuning in for uh, Fire Marshal Bill and anything else that Jim Carrey. Okay, was doing. but based, okay, but 
before you even get to Jim Carrey, you need a reason to watch this new show called In Living Color. That's and that true. reason is because Damon Wayans is on. Yeah. Um, also, shout out to Keenan Ivory Wayans for actually making that show. Thousand percent. Because um, um, nobody was doing that. Like, nobody was doing that after the Richard Pryor show. It was the first, it was the best African-American variety show since the Richard Pryor show. Hands down, can't debate that. The only problem, anyway, to get back to Damon Wayans, he had a good comedy special. He was on In Living Color. It's not out of the question. For It's not crazy that executives saw a lot of the same things there that they saw in Eddie. Right. And they even tried to put him in Eddie Murphy-ish movies like The Last Boy Scout, which is kind of, kind of a 48 hours. Yeah. Um, um, Mo Money, which is, mm, what's the closest Eddie comp to Mo Money? There's not really an Eddie comp to Mo Money. Eddie, I mean. Mo I would Money say it's Trading a, Places. Mo Money is a really black movie. Trading Places is like. It's not that. It's a more mainstream than Mo Money. And, and then, of course, uh, I, yeah, the first, yeah, I'm going to say it, the first African-American superhero movie, which is Blank Man. Um, yes, Blank Man was eight, was 94, I want to say. I, I'm pretty sure it was. Blade was 96. Yeah, Blank Man was 94. Okay, fine. Damon, Damon Wayans, Robin Gibbons, David Allen Greer. Does it beat Meteor Man? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I got to look that up because I think it does. I think Meteor Man is 92. Yeah, Meteor Man is 93. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Robert Townsend. My bad. I'm sorry. You're just shitting on Robert Townsend. I all don't. Over this I am not. Okay. It's not the first time. Shout I'm, out to Hollywood Shuffle. Shout out Hollywood Shuffle. I'm going to get you sucking like all the Robert Townsend, just all of it. It's fine. He had he had leads in Mo Money and Blank Man, and they were okay. Last Boy Scout, which we've discussed, it's it's weird because it's like Bruce Willis thinks it's a Bruce Willis movie, Damon Wayans thinks it's a Damon Wayans movie, and just like the streams get crossed, and it's kind of a mess. Yeah, it's just kind of a mess. We've discussed it on a previous podcast. It's it's not the chemistry is not the same as Nolte and Murphy, um, right? It's also not allowed to be as explicitly black versus white as 48 hours correct um so i I don't know just bruce willis just turns out to be this dude who's pissed off for some for reasons and (laughs) um damon waynes has to be super black which is not really his wheelhouse so then we get to the death comedy jam like that uh that alumni like there's the bill bellamy's the eddie griffin's the Cedric, the entertainers those guys not to discount what they did because let's face it, they were funny and stand up, but they weren't getting the kind of exposure that Martin Lawrence, Chris Rock, and Damon Wayans were. What I will say is, you left uh, Bernie Mac off this list. I and, uh, I did, and I, I we we will talk about Bernie Mac after Martin Lawrence and Chris Rock because the the Bernie Mac show is something that needs further discussion. Uh, yeah, I was just going to mention he is one of the few people to come out of Def Jam to kind of spin it into a, let's say, a, a career that was successful on a level that might have been higher than some of these other guys. I mean, Bill Bellamy made one or two movies. Eddie Griffin has Undercover Brother. Uh, he's not the lead, but he's in that he's in that movie with DJ Qualls, that weird like 
teenager thing. What's the new guy? Uh, I think it's called. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. And then Cedric the Entertainer is in stuff. Like he's like a game show host, and no, he's not, in... no, that's Steve Harvey, not Cedric the Entertainer. But Cedric the Entertainer like does stuff. Like he's not in movies, but like he does things. He's into stuff. Is is Cedric the Entertainer of that guy? If you see him on film, look. All I will say is, of the three of them, nobody's in movies with with George Clooney. That's all I'll say. <laughs> wow, that is true. Uh, in the nineties, you also saw. Uh, also, because of Def Comedy Jam, like more women are getting their shots now because there's the BET and the UPN network at the time. Um, I don't know what is it? It's the CW now, or whatever the hell that is. Uh, it's 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 UBN. I'm afraid to untitled. ask. What, I'm afraid to ask what you think that stands for. It's called the Untitled Black Network. Oh my God! I knew I knew that's where you were going with that. Okay. But Monique, Samar, Adele Gibbons. Adele Gibbons, by the way. Jesus Christ. Why wasn't somebody giving her a fucking television show? Come on. Like, that's not like um, a no, that felt like a no-brainer to me. I, do you re- you've heard her act. Do you really think it would work on network television? Bernie Mac got a show. Bernie Mac. Yeah, think about it. Not, his act does not revolve around... Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh huh. This this probably has more to do with the sexist notion that people want to see um, a raunchy male comic rather than a raunchy female comic, and that, which would uh, change a little bit going forward with Amy Schumer and the like. But right, it's still a prevalent idea that nobody wants to hear, or nobody wants to see a show about a woman talking about raunchy stuff adele gibbons if she like if she really started coming on like the 2010s which there's another female in there in the 2010s we'll get to but if adele gibbons was like 20 years later like adele gibbons would have been the shit in like the 2010s it's i mean she's not dead she is alive i'm just i'm just just saying like like eddie she may have lost a little bit on her comedy fastball like have you seen adele gibbons in anything I think I remember seeing her in something recently, but uh, I can't remember. You might have to check the tapes on that for me. So, so in 1996, right? Chris Rock would come out with a little special called "Bring the Pain." Oh my God! Uh, um, this was this was his second special for HBO. Uh, he had uh, one. It was a half hour one in '94 called "Big Ass Jokes." Um, but it didn't, it didn't hit nearly as hard as bring the pain did like bring the pain friends of mine in high school would come to school and recite, bring the pain jokes to the teachers in the fucking classroom. That's how big bring the pain was. So to keep the wrestling analogy going, (laughs) God, everybody knew, everybody knew Chris Rock from New Jack City. He was Pookie. Right. He was on. He was on Saturday Night Live for a hot minute, and he disappeared. Kind of like Steve Austin with the Hollywood Blondes and the Ringmaster. Oh my God! Then in '96, Stone Cold Chris Rock comes out. He's <laughs> stunnering people. He's totally different. Like yeah. he he's just hitting it. Hard. It's like it, it it really did hit the comedy world like. Stone Cold Steve Austin hitting the wrestling world. 
Can we roll back to Chris Rock on SNL for a second? Sure. Was Chris Rock similar to Eddie in the 80s, or was it more balance of that crew? Because Chris Rock also had Adam Sandler in that group. Michael Myers was in that group. Was it like a level kind of playing field? Or was like well, first, well, or, or was Rock able to shine a little bit more? Because Mike Myers and Adam Sandler were fucking powerhouses on that on that crew. That mid-90s SNL crew is probably the only crew that rivals the the uh, the early 80s Eddie crew. I, I would actually uh, I would actually say that that 90s crew is actually better than the original 70s crew. Um, but that that version of Chris Rock wasn't fully baked yet. He was still in the oven. He still was still in the forming, oven, forming a crust, forming into what he would become. The, the dough and, hadn't uh, risen yet. And you know, you had guys on there like Dana Carvey, Phil Hartman, Mike Myers, who were more seasoned, more like of a total package at like that point. Like they're being consumed. Chris Rock is in the oven right now. Chris Rock is the cornbread that people are going to be eating after the dinner. But Jesus Chris Christ, Rock, why did I make Rock, that analogy? I don't know. I don't know why you're Jeez. just Jesus Christ. <laughs> Just um, a- then, angry, angry comments in my mentions. Just bring them. It's fine. I apologize. But Chris Rock would do a series of really influential and incredible, really dope specials. Specials. Um, do you want to go through the titles? Uh, sure. Bring the pain. Bring the pain in '96. Bigger than blacker. Oh my God. Even that one was really good. Uh, never scared. Never scared. And he he had he had killed the messenger in two thousand eight, but by by then he was just well established. And then he had, and then he had tambourine, which came out on Netflix like three years ago, so and yes. that was really good. So like Chris Rock before before Dave Chappelle, which we'll get into in a second. Before Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock was like. Okay, it's a Chris Rock one hour special. Oh fuck that. I have to like block out my night to watch this. Bring the pain and bigger and blacker was event watching. Thousand percent. It got in 1999. It got to the point, Chris- it got to the point with Chris Rock and Bigger and Blacker and Bring the Pain that like our family still puts this on. During like Thanksgiving, Christmas get-togethers, like this is something we still watch because it's that good. So in '99, Chris Rock is standing on top of the comedy world, right on and top. In the year 2000, oh my god, <laughs> a little special would drop. Say it called "Killing Them Softly." Oh my god, by Dave Chappelle. Forget it. Forget and things, it. And things would. <laughs> Would take it would go in a different direction. Forget it. It's all over. It was all over after that one. <laughs> so do we do we need to talk about half baked here? Uh we don't have to talk about half baked, but um I do feel like Do we need to talk about Robin Hood men in tights here? Well, hold on, because we're not done with the 90s yet. We haven't even we haven't even totally discussed Martin Lawrence. And by that token, yeah, I guess what's to discuss? <laughs> Listen, he was the host of Deaf Comedy Jam. 
Yeah, but then in the and, late nineties, he went nuts and started running around with trash bags strapped to his body. Like that's what happened. But he still, but he still, he still did all of that plus bad boys and life and like you said, the quintessential black sitcom of the nineties. You're just saying that Martin Lawrence is not close to Chris Rock. What I'm saying is Martin Lawrence does not have a stand-up special that is on par. Yeah, that's kind of a hole. That's a hole in Martin's game. He's got a sitcom. Chris Rock has a sitcom. He's got a hosting gig. Chris Rock hosted the Oscars. Yeah. So it's not, I mean, so yes. For, for a time there, I would say 94, 95, maybe into 96, after Damon Wayans. Listen, Martin Lawrence is a nice intercontinental championship belt holder. That's fine. No, Martin Lawrence has the title, I would say, in the middle 90s, 94 to, to 97, until Chris Rock shows up. He's the hitman. He's the hitman. <laughs> He's Brett the hitman heart. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Um, I don't think we have to talk about okay. We'll we'll discuss half baked just because uh it was his first lead role and he actually co-wrote it. He did co-write it. Can you name the first thing that you ever saw Dave Chappelle in? Because I can tell you what um Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yes, it was. Um he made that movie when he was like 17. (laughs) And I don't think anybody knew what kind of talent. Mel Brooks had found if Mel Brooks it did indeed find Dave Chappelle. Oh, I don't know that he found him. I mean, he, uh, some casting director found him somewhere. But... Some casting director found him somewhere and just handed him to Mel Brooks. But before that, Dave Chappelle wasn't doing much. He had that he had that little thing in the Nutty Professor. He was in Con Air. Uh, he was also in Undercover Brother. But yeah, like you said, Killing Him Softly came out and like that was it. Forget it. Nobody. Not Cat Williams, not Mike Epps, Tracy Morgan, who was on SNL. No one was at Dave's level in the 2000s. Not a soul. Nobody could touch him. Let me just let me just make this point. Dave Chappelle was so good that no one beat him for the championship belt. He vacated the goddamn thing. He had to he vacate was just, it. He was just like, fuck it, I'm out. Like, I'm done, that's and it. And then nobody tried to take it. <laughs> Nobody in the late 2000s was like, all right, I guess I'm going to try to I guess I'm going to try to hold the title while Dave is out. He does kill them softly. He does Chappelle show season one and season two. Chappelle show famously goes on to like literally changes (laughs) what the hell a black variety show was. It literally buoyed the entire DVD market. Yes, early two, like literally is the reason people bought DVD plays. Yes, because um, not everybody had cable with Comedy Central because by then cable was too fucking expensive. Or your PlayStation Twos, however you watched it. Right. He leaves Chappelle's show. This is uh, this is like for uh, what that's it's worth. Right. That was two thousand in two thousand four, and yeah. that's around the same time. Chappelle's show starts ending 2004-2005. Is can, there anybody... Can we talk about the skits on Chappelle's show real quick, though, first? I don't... Okay. Oh, my God. I feel, like, I feel like so many of them have moved into the popular consciousness that it's not really necessary to I'm go Rick into James, the I'm Rick James, bitch. 
Yeah, I know. Everybody knows he's Rick James, bitch. The the, the Prince basketball skit. Jesus Christ. Yeah, um, incredible stuff. Black Bush. If you've never seen that, that's fucking that's fucking hilarious. Uh, ask a black guy where uh, our sister made this point earlier, where she says that because of Dave Chappelle, uh, Paul Mooney was reintroduced to an entire new generation of like black uh, black mm-hmm. youth. Which th- that's another feather in Dave's cap. Negro is Domus. Anybody, is there anybody else we even need to talk about in the two thousands? That's that's the thing. No matter who it was, nobody was as funny as Dave. Nobody was even as funny as Dave Chappelle. That's the oh, thing. not to mention, not to mention, after Chappelle's show was done, he did Black Part Block Party, which is the best. Black concert film ever made. ever made. Like no, like oh my gosh, nobody was coming close. I okay, was it just that Dave Chappelle was just so influential in the two thousands when he just left? Everybody was like, "Well, fuck, I can't, I can't reach that plateau. Fuck it, why even try?" Like Cat Williams made an attempt. I mean, yeah, I guess Cat Williams is doing his thing, but he ain't. He ain't doing no Dave Chappelle. Level. No, I. Uh, it's kind of like when Jordan left and like Hakeem was the guy for a while. <laughs> wow, like, yeah, he's good and all, but he ain't Jordan. Wow, just shitting all over those mid '90s rocket scenes. Jesus Christ, that's what made Dave Chappelle special. He was so good that he came on in the 2000s, left in the mid 2000s, and. There wasn't anybody until the 2010s, which we'll get to right now. And it's very controversial to me. Although, Go ahead. Although, well, just a second. There were a bunch of, I feel like there were a bunch of sitcom attempts. Like there's Damon Wayans show. There's Cedric the Entertainer probably gets a couple shows here. Cedric the Entertainer's uh, but, out there. But nothing like super duper significant. Now, the 2010s is where it gets a little bit controversial for me personally, because I I feel like the I feel like the comedy championship belt of the 2010s is probably Kevin Hart. Yeah, it's definitely Kevin Hart. And. okay, unpopular opinion slash hot take. I feel like he dominates the 2010s just because he's the one flooding the market. But does that make him the best? What do you mean flooding the market? So Kevin Hart does comedy special after comedy special after TV show after movie. Like you can't go yeah. you can't go one year without a Kevin Hart movie. And me personally, I don't find Kevin Hart funny. I I don't find it funny when people yell their jokes. It's just unnecessary. Um if it was my pick for the Bell winner, um, and this is another controversial hot take just because of who it is. SNL exclusive, never been in any real movies or like television shows other than Saturday Night Live. My pick is Michael Che. All right. So basically you're saying we're not going to give the title to the guy who goes out there to every city, every house show. Okay. Yeah. Every pay-per-view. Yeah. Puts it on the line. No, you want to give it to the guy who only shows up on Raw every other week. Hold, hold on, hold on. Done for hold him. on. Michael Che is out here every week 
on Saturday Night Live. He's at every Saturday Night Live show. There's like eight, but I get there's it. There's like eight new Saturday Night Live episodes a year now. I get there's it. Like eight of them. I get it. Kevin Hart, like to continue the wrestling parallel, he's doing the house shows and the Raws and the SmackDowns and the pay per views and the 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 wrestling special. He's going over. He's going over to the troops in Afghanistan. Well, not anymore, obviously. He's, yeah, he's visiting kids in the hospital. Right. Like, what do you want? <laughs> What um, you wa- Look, he's John Cena. You don't like I him. Don't find Kevin Hart funny. I'm sorry. You, uh, listen, he's John Cena. You don't like him. You have to admit he's good for the brand. All he right. gets the job done. All right. He's a professional. Okay. He deserves it. All right. Kevin Hart. Let him the- have it. Kevin Hart gets the belt, but I don't Real Husbands of Hollywood is funny. I feel like I do have to mention Tiffany Haddish because Tiffany Haddish should also be considered. Uh, uh, Tiffany Haddish can't do stand up. Are you sure? She's she's seen her stand up. It's not good. It's not bad. It's not like good. I mean, listen, Kevin Hart's stand up is not great. People are some people are good at acting in a funny way. Some people are good at stand up. She's just not good at stand up. It's not bad thing. Teeves just hates women. That's what it is. I do not hate women. (laughs) Can I tell you who I have as a as somebody to look for? Somebody who's in the weeds, going forward, someone who might take the title. Let's hear it. Uh, Dion Cole. Dion Cole is good. Dion Cole two, is working. He is working out here. Two incredible specials already. He's the second I'm, funniest person on Blackish. Second funniest. <laughs> Yeah, the only yeah. reason he's not the funniest is because he's not allowed to do Dion Cole things, and all the funny bits are being written for Anthony Anderson. Exactly. Okay. All right. Yeah. Dion Cole is Dion Cole is nipping on those heels, Kevin. I'm just saying right now. Dion on Blackish. Dion Cole is like Chris Bosh on the on the <laughs> on those Heat teams. Like well, I can't do any of my stuff. I got to do one job and do it as well as I can. Well, given that in Blackish, Anthony Anderson's character is a Clippers fan, I, I guess we have to say that uh, Dion Cole is the Paul George there to Anthony Anderson's Kawhi. No, no. I think that the Bosch analogy fits because Bosch could be a star in his own right, but because of where he is, he has to change what he does and like not be the star and just be a facilitator. And right. That's what Dion Cole does. On blackish. Let, let me just write this down. Uh, Royster Brothers Production Company, untitled Dion Cole sitcom. All right, cool. So Hollywood, just pitch us with that. Dion, hit us up. We'll we'll write some stuff. We'll do some things. Uh, real quick, let's just float this last disclaimer out. We realize we're gonna miss some people. We're gonna forget some people. We apologize if anybody's out here that's of like real big stand of like I, I don't know like g- give me a name like uh okay Jamie Foxx is somebody we didn't we didn't mention but like, okay but, but he like have a, he doesn't have the stand up I mean when was the moment when you were like Jamie Foxx I mean it's more for his acting not his stand-up like the big Jamie Foxx moment is Ray isn't it now, well, the, the first big Jamie Foxx moment for me was Wanda in Living Color. No, I mean, aside from his In Living Color stuff, 
the first time when it's like, whoa, Jamie Foxx really made me take a look and see what he's up to. Mm, I would argue it's um, it's Ali. Because he plays he plays Ali's manager in that movie, doesn't he? Yeah, I know, but I think he's better in Ray. Okay, that's fair. Uh, so so we so we didn't talk about Jamie. We didn't really mention Jamie Foxx, but like I mean, he doesn't have the stand up chops, or I've never seen him in a stand up special, so I don't really know. Marlon Wayans, I feel like should get some comp for for all that his brother does. I think Marlon is just as funny, like Sean and Marlon Wayans. Okay, we need to. Okay, yeah, bring that back. Sean and Marlon, the 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 white chicks movie and oh, the movie's terrible. The scary movie franchise. Scary movie franchise is written by Keenan. But still, those two are acting in it. And I listen, I'm just saying those those movies don't drink your juice in South Central. Terrible. Stop it. Really? You didn't you didn't like that. Again, real for the title. I mean, they are like they're like maybe tag team title. There you go. <laughs> they're um, not anywhere near the world title. I mean, you need to watch Marlon's new HBO special because it's actually. Really I will good. watch it. I have not watched it yet. Maybe it's good. I'll it's actually it really there. good. Um, anybody else we left out? I mean, I know yeah. we I know we left out a shitload of women, but again, that's because you know black women not really getting their shots in in hollywood in terms of like comedy like that you know like tiffany haddish is the one getting the biggest push right now but before her uh ray is out here doing some stuff for Issa ray is doing some stuff but like before the 2010s i can't really think of anybody i think i mean you mentioned monique you mentioned del givens you mentioned some more you mentioned uh the only ones Tisha Campbell I mean, is overshadowed by, by Martin. Like she's only because she keeps getting cast as the wife in every black sitcom. Uh, let's see, Martin, the Damon Wayne show. Here's somebody that I hope that he gets more. Uh, he gets more push. I'm, I'm talking push like this is actually wrestling, but um, Jermaine Fowler. I, I am not familiar. I've seen Jermaine Fowler stand up. It's really good. I've seen it live. He's fucking phenomenal. He did a show with Judd Hirsch called Superior Donuts. It's based off a play. It lasted two seasons on CBS. But by then, CBS had all their eggs in the Big Bang Theory basket. So it's like, you know, whatever. But uh, Jermaine Fowler most recently was in Coming to America where he played uh, Eddie Murphy's son. So that's who Jermaine Fowler is. And I feel like he should get more of a push in uh, going forward. I feel like he's another, he's one of these young gunners that could really like, if he gets the opportunities, he could be really good. Also shout out to Hannibal Burris. Hannibal uh, Burris. Not only, not only for being a great comedian in his own right, but for getting the ball rolling on this whole Cosby business. <laughs> uh Larry Wilmore, we didn't mention, but you know, Larry Wilmore. He's not a stand up. He's not a stand up. He's mostly not really a comedian. He's like a writer. He's a writer producer. It's tough to win that belt as a writer. So, although the Larry Wilmore show probably uh, on on some nights better than the Daily Show on some nights. Uh, I don't watch the Daily Show, so I would. (laughs) Good point. 
now we get to the big question, and it's and we gotta have it. Eddie versus Dave, and I feel like that's the debate. Best of all time. Or do we or should we even have this debate? Because it's like you're doing Jordan LeBron. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. It's like Jordan LeBron. It's like with with Kevin Hart in there doing Kobe stuff. Yeah, I don't I don't know that they really invite a whole lot of one-to-one comparison just because number one, the eras that they came up in were so different. And it's like Dave took what Eddie was doing and just and just did it like I don't want to say more R-rated, but like he was definitely he he pushed a lot more edge. He pushed a lot more edges than Eddie did, I feel. See, but again, Eddie's like by the time, like by the time the mid '90s came around, like Eddie was definitely more doing it for the kids, with like Shrek and the Nutty Professor and Doctor Doolittle and all those movies. Meanwhile, Dave came in and just just started doing the old Eddie adult type stuff. Yeah, no, I don't think that's true because I don't think uh, I think on Delirious and Raw you get to see kind of more of a the more raunchy Eddie, but I think that's just what he thought he had to do to be a comedian. Hello. I'm here. Uh, I think that's just what he I think that's just what he thought being a stand-up comic meant. Um, that's fair. And again, neither one of them are super. I mean, here's. I mean, you could argue Eddie Murphy has some raunchy bits, but I, I don't think that those. I don't think that him being raunchy is the entire part and parcel of either of those specials. And the same thing with Dave Chappelle. It's like they just have observations that are from a, uh, an African American perspective. I'll give you that. Not, it's not like they're not like Andrew Dice Clay out here. They're not doing a character that's designed to like elicit strong kind of feelings or whatever yeah they're just i don't know and there's this thing where comedians can only really be themselves on stage and like i feel like that's what you get from both of these guys i think saying which one is better um kind of like you're missing the point now i i hear that and with with eddie like let's say eddie came out with like a new comedy special that shit's going to be an event if Eddie Murphy were to come out with a new comedy special, I admit, I'd probably watch it. I would watch the shit out of that. I mean, I don't know how good it could be since he's been a he's been he's had a life that's totally different from anybody else's life, most likely, for <laughs> like the past, you know, 30, 40 years. So I don't right. know what kind of all his material is about. So don't you hate it when the pilot of your private jet like, no, it's a bunch of stuff that nobody's going to be able to relate to. <laughs> All right, so we, we've handed out a lot that's of the thing about That's that's one thing I will say, that Dave Chappelle continues, like, he doesn't get caught up in all the trappings of success and celebrity and like that. He keeps it down to home. He, he, he still lives on his farm in Ohio. Um, I think that's something that you could say keeps him grounded and keeps him always... With the soul of the people, I guess. I would agree with that. All right. We we've we've handed out enough belts, I think, for, for one podcast. We we've handed out enough. Uh if you enjoyed this podcast, like, follow, support the podcast. You can follow us 
on Twitter. Uh, I am at DOB Royster. Teeves is at TVK. Follow the show at Teeves and Kid Phoenix Versus. Like, subscribe on the iTunes and the, well, it's not even iTunes anymore. It's Apple Podcasts. So do that and the Spotify. If you follow us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to like, give us a review, because that's how we get these Casper checks. Uh, next week is the final episode of season one. And uh, yeah, we're taking a huge break. <laughs> yeah, we're going to take a break. And then we'll be back for season two, the sequel of season one, as it were. And like any good sequel, we're going to raise the stakes and expand the universe. Um, I don't know how we're going to do that, but that's what we're going to do. But that's it. That's the show. That's the podcast today. That's it. That's it. That, that's all, that's you, all we that's got. All we got. Uh, oh I, I don't know what you were doing before, but you know, I don't know whatever you were doing before. Go back to watching uh Showtime at the Apollo. Oh my god, yeah, yeah. S- Steve, <laughs> go don't don't watch it. You know what? Download like bigger and blacker, download bring the pain, download killing himself. Watch those specials if you've never watched them before. First of all, why have you not? But you know, do it anyway. But that's it. Final episode of season one next week. We hope you enjoy and we're out of here.